Welcome to the Palm Harvest Podcast. We are a community in Costa Mesa, California. To know more about us, visit our website, palmharvest.com. To follow along with today's message, download the Palm Harvest app and click on Sermon Notes. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Mike. Say hello, Pastor Mike. For those of you who are at home watching, let's all turn around and look at the cameras and, and wave everybody. So, good full house today. So, uh, my phone, I'm going to have my phone on here today because Brian and Vanessa Clock are in labor right now. And I just got the update. Uh, epidural is working and all is well, full speed ahead. So, um, if you see my light go off, somebody come up and check it. So, that's cool. So, this weekend was, what, 4th of July weekend. Was it like a war zone at your house? It was amazing. That was the first two and a half hours. I loved it. And then after that, I was like, this is really, this is really crazy. Rob, did you blow off anything nasty? So, he wouldn't tell. So, pretty cool. You know, we are, we are going to be starting a new series called Restore. Say that with me. Restore. And really the big idea of this, if you're taking notes, if you have your Palm Harvest app, uh, please write this down. And the theme of this series that we're going to be unpacking over the next several weeks is God, our Heavenly Father, is in the restore business. I want that to sink. I want you to let that sink in for a second. God, our Heavenly Father, is in the restore business. You know, when I watch the evening news, you know, one of the things I sus- have noticed and I suspect you have too is that... Our world, it seems like now, is in a bit of chaos. Would you agree with that? You know, people are hurting, people are angry, people are, you know, acting out uh, both in good ways and in bad. People are searching for answers. Uh, We're seeing people begin to work for change. There's just a lot of frenzies. You know, when I watch the news and when when I survey sort of the 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 events that are taking place around this world, there's one demonstrative theme that, that keeps capturing my attention and has been now for the last couple of months since this whole COVID-19 uh, season kind of uh, came upon us, and that is this, that our world right now is in need of God's restorative healing touch. Would you agree with that? You know, anybody here in the mood today to have God's healing restorative touch on your life? Yeah, me too. Listen, Paul Marvis here, there are three things that I want you to be reminded of uh, today in our conversation and really for you to ruminate on this this coming week uh, as you go through your your activities. In fact, write this down if you want to uh, in your your notes or old school. And that's number one, God intends for his people to be well. Let that sink in. God intends for his people, he intends for you and he intends for me to be well. The second thing that, that I want you to be reminded about, uh, about God is that creation has been deeply wounded by sin. I think when I look at the, when I kind of look at the events of this world that we're living in, it's just a product of sin. It's just a, an overflow of sin. Creation, your life and my life, has been impacted, not just impacted, not just been touched, but it's been wounded by sin. But the good news, the really the great news, the hopeful news, uh, which is the third point uh, in your Palm Harvest app notes, is that God is constantly at work to save and restore creation. 
God hasn't taken a holiday. God is constantly at work to save and restore creation. You know, church, in spite of the the hankiness that's taking place in our world right now, in your world right now, in spite of the unknowns, just talking to a few of you today already is, is, you know, how, you know, some of you are out of work, you know, some of you are facing, you know, challenges. In spite of all that hankiness in this world and in your world and mine, the Bible teaches us that God is still active. Somebody say amen. Right? Why? Why is God still active? Because God, our Heavenly Father, is in the restore business. That's what he's about. So we're going to spend some time today just refreshing ourselves. You know, I'm sitting down because I want to. We just really want to kind of create that restoration mood. So let's begin with with prayer. We've already, you know, we're in. You're dangerous enough. You guys are all risked to come in here, and it's really good to see to see you. But let's begin. And then, as you've been, you know, for the if you've been tuning in, I like to always open my hands with an open hands, an open heart, and an open mind. Just everybody take a deep breath right now and just kind of exhale. Okay, a couple deep breaths. Just kind of center yourself. Now pray this in your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, today, as I sit with Mike, I pray that you would restore me. That through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would save and restore me, refresh me, renew me. Lord, as I pause right now in this moment, I'm gonna choose to believe that you are in control, that you are holding me securely in your hands. So today, God, restore my heart. Now I want you to pray for the person sitting next to you, whether you're here in the auditorium or if you're watching in your home. Just ask God, say, Lord, just breathe on, pour over upon, call out by name in in your mind, in your heart, the person sitting next to you. So, Lord, that's our prayer today as we gather in this place and we are expectant that our already you are renewing us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And everybody said, amen. All right, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, for those of you who have a paper Bible like mine, uh, 2 Kings is super easy to find. It's toward the the beginning of the Bible. It's in what the Old Testament section. And it's the 12th book. And so the the books of the Bible, as probably many of you have learned, if you you grew up going to church, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and then 2 Kings, right? We can all count. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, what I'm about to tell you, some of you are going to love, and what I'm about to tell you, some of you are going to hate. Um, hopefully, you won't hate too bad. But for the next 15 weeks, how many weeks? 15 weeks, we are going to camp in 2 Kings chapter 5. You say, what? For 15 weeks? Now, where are we going to go with this? I'm not quite sure, to be totally honest. 
But from now until November, mid-November, the next five months, we are going to camp in 2 Kings chapter 5. We are going to read and reread and reread and reread and reread and reread again. We are going to dissect this story in 14 different ways through the lens of 14 different people who are in this story. And I promise you that we are up for an adventure. Who's up for an adventure? Sort of. Some of you are half up for Listen, here, here, here's the bottom line. For the next two months, well, let, me do, let me just go back a little bit to give you some backstory. So two months ago, I started thinking about, okay, where are we going to go, Lord? Where do you want our church to go after we get through this words series that we've been on? And there was just one word that kept coming to my head, restore, restore. There's one thing this nation needs right now. It's a, it's a touch of God's restoration. So two months ago, I reached out to Armando. Armando is uh, Pacheco. Some, he's played bass up here with the band on a few occasions. But Armando is our, our graphic artist. He's the guy who Beto, our creative communications guru, you know, who he and Armando work really in sync. And, and I, so I reached out to Armando. He's the guy who creates all the, you know, artwork. And if you go to, like, not right now we're on Roku. If, you've, if you haven't, go home tonight or today and, and go on your television and add the channel Roku and you'll see the Palm Harvest channel and the backdrop. It's a super cool backdrop. That's, that's that's Armando's work. So I called Armando up, and I just sent him a text. I said, Armando, um, I just want you to start praying about this, thinking about this. I think my next series is going to be called Restore. I don't know what I'm going to preach about. I don't know if I'm going to preach through a, a book of the Bible. I don't know uh, what it is. But as I lay in bed, uh, I just keep hearing this theme over and over and over again. So I'm trusting you. I trust your, the giftedness, how God touches your, your heart. I want you to just start thinking about this theme. And maybe God will give you an image. And then we can, we can go forward. Sometimes, a lot of times, God will give me an image. And I'll go, I kind of see this. And then I give it to him. And then he does his, his, you know, his magic, so to speak. Well, as we were, as I was, you know, beginning to, to work on this, the, the, this theme, I was like, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to preach on? You know, should I preach out of the book of Romans or whatever? But this one story, 2 Kings chapter 5, kept coming back to me like, this is it. This, this is the one, this is it. This is all I'm giving you. So I had the theme restore. I had this, this, what we're about to read today, 2 Kings chapter 5, and that was it. And it wasn't until this past Tuesday, five days ago, when I'm reading my devotions and I'm reading in, in, in the Gospels in Luke chapter 4, which we're also going to look at today, that it all came together for me. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> so I just know it's going to be hard. This is going to be a hard series for me because it's not that clear. And so uh, it's usually not that clear anyways, I guess, right? <laughs> So that's what we're going to go. So here's, here's really the goal that we're going to have for the next, for today. Today we're going to read two Bible stories, okay? One is out of 2 Kings chapter 5, and then we're going to read a story out of Luke chapter 4. And as, as, we, as we read this, these two stories together, I want you to identify the 14 different people who are in these stories, because over the next 14 weeks, we're going to look at each, each story through the lens of those, each person. So there's, in, your, in your notes, there's a place for you to just write down the names. And, and, and so it, it's, it's not going to be that complicated, I don't think. But so to turn to King, 2 Kings chapter 5, 
I'm going to start reading at verse 1, and I'll give you a hint. There's two people right away we can find in verse 1. And, and, and for those of you who, who uh, I don't want to give away where, yet we're going to go. Let, let's start reading, okay? So here we go. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. This is what we read. The king of Aram, ding, 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 ding. What's the first person? The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now we're mentioned here two people. Who are they? King of Aram and Naaman. And what did Naaman do? He was a warrior. He was a military commander. He was a guy who basically ran the army for King Aram. Let's keep going. Verse 2. At that time, Aramean raiders, I suppose they could be a third group, but we're, we're going to skip them. At that time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives, hint, was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, to, to Naaman's wife, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So we're mentioned three more people here in these just these first three verses. Who are they? You got Aram, you got Naaman, you got who else? You got Naaman's wife, you've got the girl. Now, now understand this. This is a girl who's been kidnapped. I want you to put yourself maybe in, in her shoes. She, Naaman was a military warrior, right? And so we know that whenever militaries would invade other countries, when they would come back, they would bring the spoils of war. And many times they were people. And they would thrust them into, into slavery. Sometimes it would be the sex trade. Sometimes in this case, as we read, they're, they're in the service. But we have this Israeli girl young girl who's been kidnapped in the, from her land of Israel, and now she's working for Naaman's wife, right? Serving for Naaman's wife. And then there's one other person. Who is it? What's mentioned here? The prophet. What's the prophet's name? What's it tell us? It doesn't tell us yet, so well, yeah, hang, on, hang on there. Okay, so we have a prophet, and I'll just give you, his name is Elisha. E-L-I-S-H-A, if you want to write that down. Elisha. Okay, you guys with me still? Oh, this is so good. Verse 5. Verse 4. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Now stop for a second. We're going to see this in a moment. If you were a king, now we're introduced here to the king of Israel. So he's another person. Now put yourself in the, in the king's throne possession. If you're a king and you know that there is an opposing kingdom that's in the habit of invading your land, ravaging it, and kidnapping all your young people. And now suddenly this king sends you a letter and says, hey, king, I want you to heal my leading commander. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to receive that favorably? What would you be feeling? Would you be like upset by that? 
Notice, what, notice what the, how the king of Israel responds, verse 7. He said, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes. And by the way, you never tear your clothes, especially if you're a king. But he tears his clothes in dismay and said, am I a God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man, why is this king asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. Can you capture that? King of Israel is scared because this one king, the bully on the block, is now threatening him, saying, listen, I want you to do something that nobody can do. And he just realizes, oh, can I say the word crap in church? I'm in trouble. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, I'm in trouble. He wants me to do something. He's just trying to pick a fight. He's trying to find another excuse to come in and ravage our land some more. Let's keep reading. But when Elisha, the man of God, he's one of our guys, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Here's the Here's another person in our, our list. What number is he? And that is the messenger, number seven, the seventh person. What's the messenger's name? Anybody know? What's the Bible say here? It doesn't tell us yet, does it, JJ? But if you want to know, it will tell us, and his name is Gehazi. So write that down, G-E-H-A-Z-I, Gehazi. And Gehazi, we're not going to read his story today, but he has an unfortunate experience with Naaman and his leprosy. If you don't know the story, you might want to read it this week. Uh, We're not going to get to it today. Gehazi. Let's keep reading. Let's see here. So Naaman went with his horses to Jehariots. Elisha sends his messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I love that, by the way, because here's a guy who's upset at God. He's upset at Elisha, and which tells me that God can handle when I'm upset and God can still work in my life. Just a tidbit there. Naaman becomes angry. He stalks away. He says, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand of the, over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. I'll stop there for a second. You guys realize who Naaman is? How many of you have seen the movie 300? Okay, here's a picture of King Leonidas of Sparta. That's who I envision Naaman to be. Naaman Understand that Naaman is the, the he's the top dog of the of the of the commanding this this army that continues to just ravage the nation of Israel. This guy is no slouch. I imagine when Naaman walked into a room, people cowered in fear. I mean, this is the guy. If you looked at Naaman besides seeing his leprosy, I would imagine you probably saw scars on his face. He was probably ripped, kind of like, not me, like Lewis. I mean, the guy had it going. Can you picture it in your mind? This guy was, is not used to people just sending a messenger to him. 
This is the guy who's used to having people roll out the red carpet and give him the best, and yet Elisha just sends his messenger and says, tell him to go dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. Interesting. So he's, he's upset. Never been treated so rudely. Then he says, verse 12, aren't the rivers of da- Damascus, the, uh, the Abani and the Parfar, Better than any of the rivers of the Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in rage. But his officers, there's another group here in our story. His officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River. So by the way, we're, we're going to look at Naaman. Through the, we're going to look at this story through Naaman's eyes. But you know what? One of the great things that we see here in, about Naaman's leadership? What character? Humility. Humility. His officers are suggesting something to him. And even though he's this high and mighty commander... He exercises humility. How do we know that? Because he listens to them, right? He takes their advice. Goes, fine, fine, I'll go dip myself in the river. So he goes down to the Jordan River, and some of you have been to the Jordan River, and trust me, it is a dirty river. They dip himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin becomes not here this morning. The skin of a young child, and he was healed. Now, Melody's not here this morning, I don't think, Godinho. But can you all envision what, I should have one of you guys come up, what beautiful skin looks like? I mean, he, Axel, no. This is a guy whose face was probably scarred up. His nose, how many times do you think his nose had been beaten, broken in the course of war? I mean, he, not only does he have leprosy, but he walks into, dips himself, he obeys, and he comes out and his skin is restored. And we're going to unpack this future, future. but I, again, I love the fact that Naaman was a guy who was mad. He was upset, and yet God still healed him. And the message for me, even in this little bit, is that even when I don't have it all together, even when my flaws or my anger, or you pick whatever character issue that you deal with in your life that, that trips you up, that's not enough to keep God from loving on you. Why? Because God, our Heavenly Father, is in the restore business, right? Keep reading. So then Naaman, it says, and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. What do we call this? We call this a conversion. Here's this man who comes from the heathen land, which we're going to unpack here in a second in Luke chapter 4. And he comes back and he makes this declaration that he believes that there's no God like the God of Israel. And he says, so please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. The Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except the Lord 
However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god Ramon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow to. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. How much time do we have here? Let's keep reading. But Gehazi, this is the part I said I wasn't going to read. Let's read it, though. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master should have not let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. So Gehazi set off after Naaman. Do you guys know this story? When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot, picture that in your mind, and he went to meet him. Is everything all right, Naaman asked. Yes, Gehazi said, but my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. True or false? False. He would like 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give to them. By all means, take twice as much silver, Naaman said. He gave him two sets of clothing, tied up the money in two bags, and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. But when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and sent the men back, and then he went and he hid the gifts inside the house. Uh Uh-oh, not a good decision. When he went in to his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? What do you think? Does he come clean, J.J.? Mm-mm. Smart boy. I haven't been anywhere. Anybody ever said that? Well, me? Nope. But Elisha asked him, don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle, male and female servants? Because you have done this, you and your descendants, there's another people group, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. And when Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy. His skin was white as snow. Now with a show of hands, how many of you think it was a good decision that Gehazi made? How many of you think it was a bad decision? Luke chapter 4. Turn to Luke chapter 4. This is where the story came, to, came in. I don't, God, church, I don't know what God has for us, but I think it's something unique. Luke chapter 4. We're going to read this, and then we're going to bring this baby to a close, believe it or not. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Go to verse 4. 14. Let me, give you this, let me give you this setting, okay? Now, Jesus has been, he's just beginning his earthly ministry. He hasn't even called his disciples yet. He's just spent 40 days in the wilderness praying and fasting and doing battle with the devil. Anybody ever fasted for 40 days, 40 nights? I have. And I'll tell you from a firsthand experience, when you spend that much time without food and all you're eating is the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit is on you like you can only imagine. I tell you that because Jesus right now has got the goods. 
Not only is he God's son, but he is full of the Holy Spirit. And he is ready to launch his earthly ministry. So the Bible tells us here in verse 14, that after doing battle with the devil and after being victorious, this is what we read. He said, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. People were like, who is this dude? You've got to meet this cat. I mean, there is just something different about him. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Now, in, in, in the Jewish context, and, and whenever you would teach, you would always stand up to read the scriptures. And sometimes you'll be in, in and I've, I've said this, out of reverence for the reading of God's word, let's stand as we read. And then the teacher would, would sit down, and when this teacher would sit down, then people knew, now the teaching is about to begin. So we read here that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. He's already beginning to gain this attention. People recognize there's something very unique about this guy. And he decides to go to his hometown, his boyhood where he grew up, and he goes into the temple, he goes into the church, he goes into the synagogue to preach for the first time. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. I suppose that would be another guy we could look at. We'll see. He unrolled the scroll and found the place this, this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Basically what Jesus is saying to everybody is, I am the Messiah. I am the one who the prophets have been predicting from all these years. I am that guy. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down, and all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled this very day. Now here's what I want you to notice, which is going to bring us back to 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, everyone spoke well of him. So there's another group here that we should, we're going to look at this story through the lens of. The people who are in the temple, the temple goers, the church goers, you and I, we have, if, if, if you were to leave here today, and when you leave here today, if someone were to say to you, what happened when Palm Harvest came back together, you know, live for their live service, each one of us would have a different perspective, wouldn't we? Depending on where we sat, depending on who we talked to, depending on what our experience was, we're going to look at this story through the people of, of the synagogue. It says, everyone spoke well of him and were amazed by his gracious words that came from his lips. But then they asked this question, how can this be? They asked, isn't this Joseph's son? Joseph's another guy, a part of the story. We looked at Joseph on Father's Day, didn't we, a little bit? How, how can this be the Messiah? How can this be the one who, who he, he's truly special? But how can that be? We know this kid. We watched him grow up. You know, we're a lot like these people. This is a rabbit trail, by the way. We will take the advice of a, over, of a complete stranger versus the advice of somebody that we know. Think about that. 
Somebody you know will say, you know, I really don't think you should, you should invest in that. That's not a good decision. And then a complete stranger on a bus or at a baseball game or wherever you might go, a coffee shop starts talking investments, say, you ought to really buy this. What do we do? We go out and we buy it. Don't even know them. We discard people that we know. And so all you parents get used to it. It's part of it's just the, it's just, Our kids are going to disregard what we have to say, no matter what age. And we do it too. So they're saying, how can this be? Then he says, and let me just quickly run through this. He says, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. And then Jesus mentions here, and this is important, so don't miss this. Don't fall asleep on me now. He gives an example of two prophets from the Old Testament that did not minister to the people of Israel. So certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. So he's another guy in our story that you should write of your person of interest, Elijah. There were many widows. He references a story when, when, when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. So this widow was another person we're going to look at, and she has a fascinating story. He said, and many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha. Elisha is another person who, he, who we're going to look at. But the only one healed was who? What's it say? Naaman. When I read that this Tuesday, my, my head exploded. Elijah and Elisha. Elisha. Let me give you a couple of backgrounds. Elijah was the mentor. He was the coach. Elisha was a student. Do you know how many times Elijah, well, let me ask you this. Do you know how many miracles it, the Bible reports Elijah is doing? Anybody know? 16. 16 miracles. Anybody want to guess how many miracles Elisha, his mentoree, did? 32. So you got the teacher doing 16. You got the student doing 32. Who's better? We don't know. Elisha's no slouch. In the New Testament now, anybody want to guess how many times Elijah, the teacher, is mentioned? 26 times. In the book, in the, all of the books of the New Testament, Elijah is mentioned 26 times. Anybody want to guess how many times his student, the guy who doubled the miracles, is mentioned in the New Testament? Once. One time. And it's mentioned right here. You want to know why he's only mentioned one time? This is my hunch. Look at how the people respond. When Jesus references Elisha, and he references him healing Naaman, this army commander, this guy who is in the business of kidnapping their kids, a heathen. Look at what, how the people responded. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. 
Jumping up, they mobbed Jesus and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built, and they intended to push him over the cliff. What do they want to do? They want to kill him. At the very mention of one guy, Elisha, healing this army commander. It should tell us something about what the people thought about Naaman. So why would God want us to spend 15 weeks on the story of Naaman? Because God's in the business of restoring people. And friends, I think if there's one message that we need to be reminded of, is that truth? I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what kind of baggage or scars that you have in your life, but I want to remind you today at least that God loves you. And he's with you. I don't know who in your life is wayward and maybe away from God, but God hasn't lost sight of them. Some of you parents tuning in may have kids who are just not following the Lord. Don't lose hope. Their anger or their rage or their lifestyle can't keep him from being at work in their life. So the people try to kill Jesus, but what's he do? He passed right through the crowd and he went on his way. He goes to Capernaum, verse 32, 31, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. And there too the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to capture today is that God, our Heavenly Father, is in the restore business. I find it so interesting. I find it so interesting that Jesus t- preaches one sermon in his hometown and he mentions a guy. He's the only guy in the entire New Testament who mentions Naaman, this warrior, in 2 Kings chapter 5. That just strikes me as unique. And so I want to know why. And so if you're willing to come along with me for 15 weeks, I might quit halfway through. I might get tired of it. Uh, Full disclosure. And you probably will too. But there's something here. And what I want to invite you, let me just close with this. There are three goals that I have every time I teach God's word. you know what they are? Number one, I want you to learn the Bible. I want to help you learn the Bible. And so for those of you who have never heard the story of Naaman, you just learned the Bible today. The second thing that I want you to do, I want to help people do, is I want to help you see your story in the Bible. Don't just learn the Bible. Don't just make this an intellectual exercise. I want you to put yourself in the story. And so in this story, you're going to see yourself. Maybe you're going to be this kidnapped girl. Maybe you're going to be this judgmental churchgoer. Maybe you're going to identify with Naaman, this army commander. See yourself in the story. I want to help people learn the Bible. I want to help people see themselves in the Bible. And number three, I want you to help people experience the power of the Holy Spirit of the Bible. Learn the Bible, see your story in the Bible, and be touched by the Holy Spirit of the Bible. That's my goal. So this is how we're going to close today. Band's going to come up. 
and we're going to be touched by the Holy Spirit of the Bible. And I want you to ask yourself the question when the band comes up, and they're just going to give us some, some background. We're going to spend some time in prayer here. Some of you may be in a place where you've just gotten sloppy in your time with the Lord. Maybe you just need to come to the Lord and just ask for forgiveness. Maybe you're in a place today where you're just being really judgmental against somebody in your life. Like these churchgoers were. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to just go, Lord, forgive me because you've, you have forgiven me. Please increase my capacity to forgive those around me. So just close your eyes for those of you who are here today. And it's good to see many of you. So good. I want you to just stop and I just want you to thank God for his love for you. God, thank you for loving me. We prayed earlier. Just say, God, will you right now just touch me with your Holy Spirit? Just breathe on me, your Holy Spirit. Some of you are struggling today. You're facing decisions today. Just say, God, bring peace to my heart because I'm worried. Worried about tomorrow. Some of you are facing a decision that you just don't have an answer for. Just say, God, just pour on me your Holy Spirit today. Bring clarity into my decision making. Some of you have a friend who's lonely. A neighbor who maybe just maybe lost a loved one. Somebody whose life is in, in, in transition. Say, Holy Spirit, just touch them. Vanessa's in the hospital right now. She's giving birth to a baby. A little crisis going on in that hospital room. Pray for Brian. This is his first time. You ever had the chance of being a dad in the birthing room? Pray for him. Ask God's Holy Spirit to just rest upon him. But ask God's presence to be on Vanessa. God, just pour out your spirit upon the doctors and the nurses and the staff that are with her, with them in that room. We pray for this child, this baby is about ready to enter a crazy world. Let the delivery be safe. Lord, already stir in the heart of this young son or daughter a desire to know you and want to walk with you and to experience you. Lord, let your spirit touch us today. I want you to pray right now for Cole. I see Cole here in the auditorium. Cole just graduated. Ventures ahead. Lots of, lots of runway ahead of him. Ask God's spirit to, to, to direct Cole as he's trying to make decisions about a career. And I see Steve in the auditorium. Steve's been out of work for 14 weeks. Just pray for Steve. Bring comfort to him. Lord, provide for them. Have you ever been out of work? Let your presence touch us today, Lord.
And lastly, I just want us to pray today for our, our first responders. It's men and women who are at the hospitals and police officers and our firefighters. And it's a crazy world right now. Ask that his presence would guide our leaders. So Lord, today as we gather in this place here in Costa Mesa and around the world for those who are watching us through this broadcast, we ask that your Holy Spirit would touch us. Forgive us when we're judgmental like these churchgoers, these synagogue goers of Luke chapter 4 when we don't see people as recipients of your love and forgiveness. And thank you, God, for the message of Naaman that here's a, here's a man that in spite of his military violent past, that you still loved him. Saw fit to forgive him and heal him. So God, we gather today in this place as we begin this Restore series with high expectations that you're going to learn us. Learn us, Lord. Help us to learn your Bible. Lord, we pray with high expectations that you're going to help us to see our story in the Bible. And God, we thank you in advance how your Holy Spirit is going to save and restore us. Why? Because, God, you want your people to do well. And we give you thanks and hold on to that truth. And everybody said... Thank you for listening to the Palm Harvest podcast. We would love to get to know you. So download the Palm Harvest app for free and fill out our connection card. Your continued support helps us spread hope around the world. You can also give in our app and find out more about our community.